And then Doug, with his long arms. <laughs> 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 that's it. Yeah, just the, the long arms. The long. I, I, I also, your long whatever arms. you're imagining as you listen to this, double, double it. Welcome to Every Game in This City podcast about 10 game makers, curators, and researchers who met up in Malaysia for a week to try and play every escape room in Kuala Lumpur. I'm Laura E. Hall. I'm Goldie Bartlett. I'm Jay Biddle. I'm Stephanie Bullock. I'm Alexandra Lee. I'm Lee Shanglun. I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Amani Nassim. And I'm Douglas Wilson. This week, we introduce the final member of our team, Chad Toprak. Then we talk about climbing and crawling through the physical challenges at Mission Q, and screaming our heads off in the haunted house-style rooms at Lost in KL. Today is the first day so far, it's day three, that we have had our full complement of designers. So I'm very excited to welcome Chad Toprak. He's director of Freeplay, Australia's largest independent games festival, an independent game designer and curator of Hover Garden and Contours. Hmm. Welcome, Chad. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> and this is our final form. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're coming to you in beautiful stereo. <laughs> we found more mattresses. Yeah. So oh, yeah. The audio should be better. All right, we're ensconced in one, two, three, four, five mattresses. Uh, so it's warm in here. <laughs> yes. Um, so today on the podcast, we're going to discuss um, some of the more international perspectives of games in general and also escape games and the industry of of that specifically. And I wanted to start by talking with Chad about his many travels into different games communities around the world. Uh, So if you could tell us a little bit about that, that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So I think I first started traveling in 2013. Coincidentally, it was also the year that I started my PhD. Um, And so I kind of used my PhD as an excuse to travel around the world and uh, meet and engage with local communities. Um, it wasn't necessarily uh, the topic of my research to, to be traveling around. I just really made use of the conferences that I was presenting at or the festivals that I was speaking at and kind of uh, use the time in between to travel uh, around uh, Europe or North America. And um, as a result, I got to meet a lot of people and uh, and kind of have now have a sense of many different communities and, and cultures of making around the world. In 2013, I had the opportunity to travel around um, Europe. Uh, I got to present at the Woot Festival in Copenhagen. One of my highlights back then was meeting the French collective One Life Remains. Um, particularly Simon Bachelier, uh, and kind of, I, I really liked their approach to making games. They were kind of at the very fringes of the independent games community there, but the things that they were making at the time, this was like 2013, um, very different to the rest of the indie community. Um, they were engaging much more with the art scene, um, and making kind of exhibition only video games. Um, and Mm. I thought that was super interesting. 
Um, they were making games that, that, you know, they weren't submitting anywhere. They were just like, there's this one art show and that's the only place that, that I'll show it. And it won't even be available online. Um, that was fascinating. Uh, and so I traveled a bunch and came back home and I was like, oh, this is like, why don't we have this stuff here? You know, um, uh, looking at things like Wild Rumpus or Baby Castles or even prior to that, looking at Kokoromi and um, wanting something like that to exist in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until Amani came over and I shared my frustration with her uh, and she finally said, oh, why don't you just do it? Why don't you make something happen? Um, and it didn't occur to me until then that you could just make things happen. Um, <laughs> I feel like at the time, a lot of us were collectively suffering from a very toxic uh, permission culture, kind of waiting for things to happen themselves or expecting certain people to, uh, to step forward and, and make things happen. Uh, so around 2013 is when we established Hover Garden with my uh, co-director, Andrew Brophy. Um, around the same time, we had other collectives emerge. Uh, Glitchmark uh, was one of them. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been doing some really cool stuff ever since. And can you describe yeah. what Hover Garden is? Yeah, so Hover Garden is... Uh, when we first started, we called ourselves a collective. Um, until we realized we're actually just two people. So we ended up <laughs> calling ourselves a curatorial duo. Mm. Um, and uh, what we do is uh, curate and exhibit games, often in public or semi-public spaces, as a way of taste-making and raising awareness and appreciation of certain types of games. So when we think of like video games, maybe, there's often like a very not site-specific kind of way of thinking about games where like if a company releases a game you expect that you can play mm -hmm. a version of it that's maybe similar to what other people are playing mm -hmm. um most distribution models work that way where it's like the same game shipped to a lot of different places different countries but you're talking about something really different where sometimes it's a digital game or some kind of experience that can't be shipped to multiple places absolutely and absolutely that, and there's also this thing that you mentioned about art and this overlap with local art maybe as mm. part of that specificity mm. um yeah so um one of the things i started noticing was uh a lot of these events that were uh curating and exhibiting games or even you know creating uh there was like a lot of parties or 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 those sorts of events club nights um and a lot of them would uh they they tended to exhibit a certain type of game, um, one that was perhaps very um, performative or or spectator friendly. Um, it was a lot of installation games. I'm thinking of stuff like um, Ruffle Pillar or JS Joust. Um, there were all these really interesting and exciting games being created. A lot of them. Um, uh, what's what's really interesting is a lot of them tend to only exist in those types of spaces um, because of the nature of them being local multiplayer or installation based. Um, I worked on a local multiplayer game myself along with four others. Um, the game is called Turnover. It's a four-player game, and it's 
an installation game, which means it only gets to be played in events like Hover Garden or other party type events. Um, I was going to very quickly describe Raffle Pillar and JS Joust for mm-hmm. those who are listening who might not be familiar with it. Mm. Um, Raffle Pillar is a two-player game where people put on basically little sleeping bags. They step into them and pull them up to their waists. Then they lay down on the ground head to head with their heads inside a little mm, like doghouse-sized mm. box with screens in the ceiling. And then they are controlling caterpillars with the movement mm. of their bodies by rolling left and right. From the outside, it just looks like two worms wiggling around a little beautiful yeah. house. Very, very good. Um, and that was made by, I know, Jonathan Brodsky. Lucky Frame. Lucky frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. In Scotland. Yeah. And then you should talk about J.S. <laughs> no, Joust. No, <laughs> <laughs> Joust is a game for tall people. Yes. <laughs> False. <laughs> it's all you need to know. Well, so that, that one I will all quickly. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Cool. Local multiplayer game. Everyone's holding PlayStation Move controllers and trying to shove each other over um, to trigger the movement sensors in them. Set to classical music. Kind of. Long yeah. story short, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 60%. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Harsh critic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, actually, I, w- I was wondering, Chad, if you could talk a little bit more about what it is about the, like, offline-ness um, of the games or, like, what it was about, you know, those collectives that were working offline that maybe really interested you. And is it, and also, like, the ephemerality mm. of these experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, so around that time, I was really interested in um, creating social experiences where people would... Um, interact and engage with each other physically. Um, I was doing my honours and um, trying to think of the next game that I wanted to design. Um, And uh, that happened to be a game, an installation game, uh, for public transport, uh, namely Trains and Trams. Uh, So the game is called Cartload of Fun. Um, (laughs) And the, the idea... So I was taking a train... Uh, to and from uni almost every day and I started to think about the space and um, and kind of you know like the social norms that that the the uh, that public transport has and what that actually meant um, and whether people were just uh, taking that social norm on board without thinking about it um, or or like whether you know introducing something into the space would would somehow break that. So I ended up designing um, a game for that space that two complete strangers would play together. Um, there'd be a screen projected somewhere in the space and the the rails that people usually hold onto, we attached um, pressure sensors onto them um, and you'd play the game just by squeezing those sensors. And so that was... That was a really amazing and fun experience, and um, that's kind of what sparks my interest in creating these very offline um, multiplayer experiences. Um, around that time is when I discovered games like JS Joust or um, uh, Button Brutally Unf- uh, Unfair Tactics Totally Okay Now, <laughs> which is another local multiplayer game um, played by two to four players uh, with controllers or a keyboard um, next to the screen, and the players would start the game perhaps five or six steps 
away from it. And the game would prompt you to do things like uh, do five jumping stars or do ten push-ups uh, before prompting you to run to the keyboard and press a certain button a certain number of times or, or some other thing. Sort um, of like a digital musical chess. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it sounds very tame, but I've never played Button, and I've played Button many times, I've never played Button without um, bleeding. Wow. <laughs> really? Like, what? every single time I've played Button, there has been blood involved. Wow. wow. And is Button also biased towards tall people? Button is incredibly biased towards wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Well, can I, I actually think there's a couple of different dimensions to pick apart here then that maybe segues into the mm. escape room conversation. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you're talking about these video game parties, but I think sometimes we conflate multiple things. So, for example, JS Joust, despite being a physical game that needs to be played in person with multiple people, that is actually a distributable yes. game, mm -hmm. right? right? Like, in, I think you can literally buy this game and com commercially or whatever, mm -hmm. right? It's called Sports Friends, oh, and it's on God. Steam or Itch. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's actually, shamefully, it's not on Itch. Shame. Uh, but yeah, it's true. Um, but uh, uh, whereas um, Raffle Pillar, mm -hmm. right, is not a game you can easily, like the text probably customized, it's hard to uh, mail the equipment. So there's, there's a difference between like um, ephemerality mm -hmm. and the site specificity, mm -hmm. but maybe that, and then this also ties into some of the escape room stuff we're going to talk about, where uh, even with some of the escape rooms, right, there's this, the, the escape chain that's actually, like, has this model that they can now port most of this room to Melbourne. Um, but is that really distributed? Because as, as we were talking about yesterday on the episode, there were also some differences between those rooms. So I think it's, it's while everything Chad says is really true and really important, uh, I think these different axes of, well, is it supposed to be distributable or is it supposed to be ephemeral? Is it supposed to be site-specific are actually like not exact, fully parallel questions. Yeah, maybe one thing that ties it together is not necessarily ephemerality or distribution, but the city part of it. So like one thing that's interesting about all of these games, whether or not they're shipped to different festivals or whether they're custom for uh, like a local community, is that they all seem to take place in city spaces or public spaces. Um, and so if you were to play every game in the city in <coughs> Melbourne, maybe it would include a bunch of these games. But it wouldn't include um, a lot of uh, other digital game experiences that uh, don't necessitate being in the city. <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess I'm, I think one of the things that really interests me is the ephemerality. So mm -hmm. I guess like from one perspective, you know, it's like the, the Heraclitan escape room, right? You can't play the same Dutch lady <laughs> game <laughs> twice. Step in the same chocolate milk twice. <laughs> same chocolate milk pool twice. <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm really interested in those types of games that actually like foreground that that ephemerality, that yeah. that transience, mm -hmm. that and and that are like comfortable with their own obsolescence, their own fading away, like not you know don't have a kind of long tail or longevity to them. And like, what what sort of games can you make when you get rid of that desire for um, you know some type of legacy? I guess many more types. Yeah, I have a lot so of thoughts on this as a as a both an escape room owner who just by the very nature of the gig like must get as many people through the doors as possible, so there has to be an element of repeatability. Right. Um but the stuff that I'm the most interested in is like very city specific, location specific types of builds, not something that could be easily 
transported because I think that the level of immersion that is possible when you're doing that level of build out is so much better. Mm. But then in my personal work, um, like something that showed at now play this in London last year, um, was a site specific experience. I consider it a game, you know, the malleable definition of game. <laughs> um, but it was a bunch of letters and ephemera and stuff surrounding a particular event that had happened in a hotel um, that somebody, a character, had a real event. No, fictional, entirely fictional. I wrote everything. I hope it was fictional. <laughs> well, <laughs> but a, a fictional character has curated it and like placed these items there for you to peruse. So the whole experience takes place entirely in your own mind. You read the letters, you read the documents, and sort of piece things together. And you're you're meant to read between the lines. And like there is a story, there is a timeline, but it's not really that important. Um, and then you sort of decide when you've had enough and are finished. Um, and it was meant to be a totally isolated, like an individual experience. But in every photo that was sent to me of it, because I didn't say it in person, um, it's tons of people like hovered around, like all digging through it together and making their own little collective experience, which was totally, that was the whole point of that. So Alexandra and I were actually there. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm so glad that. Yeah. Well, and it's true. Every single time we walked into that, I mean, first of all, the room is packed itself, but in particular that station always had this huddled group of people. And because it's Mm -hmm. not something like other games that has a huge visual component, there was an isolation to that sociality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just people in their bubble that no one was really looking at until they were inside of it as Mm -hmm. well. But I think it's maybe then worth adding there, even the concept of ephemerality, there's like different ways of thinking about it. So we seem to be talking about here is having been there at the exact right time with the right group where, oh, you had to be there when the five of us pieced together these letters. <laughs> but then it's also, I think what's worth talking about in relation to escape rooms, um, commercially in board games, we're seeing the kind of renewed interest and potentially even sales success with physical ephemerality. So you think mm-hmm. about like pandemic legacy mm-hmm. where you're, Ask to rip up cards, draw on the board. Spoiler mm. uh, alert. So, so. <laughs> well, even, <laughs> publicly it's part of the, of the game. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think even though I would argue many of the rooms we've played, so the escape rooms we've played so far on this trip, uh, purport to be, uh, we want to be able to reset the room you know, every hour, uh, and that should be a repeatable process. Uh, uh, I do agree with Stephanie that there is, uh, I- I'm certainly interested in what would it mean to tackle ephemerality more consequentially. But even that question has so many different ways of, of thinking it, of it. Yeah. And, and I wonder yeah. if trends in board games or uh, something like Laura's game from festivals will start uh, influencing escape room designs. So I, this kind of takes it back to what Chad was talking about. and. In all your travels, like, did you notice a specific characteristic to certain places that distinguished, like, uh, Parisian gaming from Melbourne gaming, from Seattle gaming, from London gaming, from Kuala Lumpur gaming? Like, is there a kind of a way to have, like, a geographic genre or a difference that um, is important and that makes it such that you would have to travel somewhere to, to understand what it means to play those types of games. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I feel like each city has its own sense of freshness um, and each city kind of has their own uh, attitude towards games. Uh, some cities are way more um, commercially oriented. Others uh, kind of reject that notion and... Um, truly embrace the indie spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, 
other other cities are very quite into um, games that are perhaps uh, more physical or more rowdy. Um, other city, other cities are really interested in um, kind of creating more experimental experiences, kind of pushing the boundaries. Um, the cities that kind of have a unique personality in my experience have been Copenhagen feels quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto somehow feels co- uh, quite different. Um, and perhaps maybe New York also has a different vibe to it. So what you're saying is we have to play every game in Copenhagen, every <laughs> game in Toronto and every game in New York at some point. And maybe yeah. you don't <laughs> notice this as much, but Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as somebody right. who's not from there, right? Right, because yeah. of things like Bar SK mm. and just the entire kind of community. There's a real community there, like um, that. That reminds me of the the little time that I spent at Baby Castles in New York, and it's it's really quite wonderful. Mm. Well, I don't want to let the conversation conclude without mentioning also specific to escape room games that there are very, very specific regional differences between countries and then even between cities within the same country. Um, My experience in the U.S. has been that one place will start doing a thing, whether that's giving out candy as a prize for successfully escaping, uh, or, or providing a water bottle for free. That's mm. those, those are both things in Florida or that I've seen. chocolate milk. Exactly, <laughs> chocolate milk. Um, something that um, all of the ones in Dallas, Texas do is list like difficulty level, but also different skill types and things like that. Mm. Um, and then all of the ones in Portland, because we were the first ones, have modeled their systems off of the oh. one that we had established. So it's fascinating to go into different cities and to see... Um, all of that, um, just just the difference, even within a single country. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually, it's time for us to take a short break. Um, when we come back, we will be discussing the games that we played yesterday at Mission Q at Sunway Pyramid and at Lost in KL, a bunch of horror-themed ones. Yesterday, we visited two parlors, we played some very physical games at Mission Q at the Sunway Pyramid Mall, and some haunted horror games at Lost in KL. First, we'll talk about Mission Q at Sunway Pyramid. Yeah, so the Sunway Pyramid was spectacular. Like, as soon as we got to that zone, uh, speaking of, like, the weird Egyptian themes from yesterday, it was like, what is this? Yeah, it's um, it's called Sunway Pyramid. And as you're driving up, you just see a really, really big pyramid with a sphinx next to it. And you're like, what is this? It looks like some sort of theme park or something. And it turns out it actually has a theme park attached to it, which is um, Sunway Lagoon. Um, and Sunway Lagoon is a... It used to be just a water park, but they kind of expanded and put in roller coasters and haunted houses and all that. But it's really strange because it's like, how does that relate to Egyptian theme? I guess they just... They should have, it in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just, they just chose it arbitrarily. They threw a dart. Yeah. <laughs> once you step it. through the doors and, and, and walk past the eight, you know, sort of... 20 meter tall 
uh, pillars, which have hieroglyphics on them, such as sunscreen and sunglasses, <laughs> yeah. and dollar symbols. <laughs> it's it's just Ancient a, temples to capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's just a regular um, big, big, big Malaysian mall. I found this one had a lot more Western style stores in it as well. Um, the, I, yeah, there was a section in it, like the Marrakesh se- uh, section, mm. which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very different vibe to it. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. one like walkway. Uh, strip that you walked through that had all of the beautiful hanging iron cast lamps. And yeah. And can we just clarify? So both of these um, uh, parlors that we went to yesterday were in the same area of the city? The yeah. So they're both in Subang Jaya, well, near Sunway. There's mm-hmm. a sort of a small district called Sunway where they have a university. I think Monash University has their Malaysian campus in Sunway. Uh, then they have the mall, the theme park, and Lost in KL is in a sort of shopping strip, not inside Sunway Pyramid Mall. So it's a different area, but close by. It was a completely different atmosphere. I, I think there were a lot of students around, mm-hmm. and it was, it wasn't, it didn't feel like marketplace. Like it was really busy. It was full of people working, but not working to sell things or buy things. Completely different. You meant around, and then low. You know, not high rise, and but you mean around Lost and Kale, the same. Yes. Yeah, we went yeah. To yeah. Mm. The yeah. only one so far that I played that wasn't in a mall. Right. It was mm. in its own sort of shop front. I think it's the only inside one was completely different. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. also the the thing felt completely different yes. inside. It was a very different experience, but we'll get to that yeah. in the second bit. And um, so yesterday at, at Mission Q, we played. The Tomb of Life and Death as a collective group, mm-hmm. um, as ten people. It was. All of us um, split into five and five on either side of this room. Then we went into smaller groups and played Saving King Arthur and the Imperial Mausoleum. And then both of those small groups had such fast times that we decided to swap rooms and try and yeah. beat the times. Yes. <laughs> Although it was three people versus four people. So. Hey, that's oh, true. Uh, use that. Use that. <laughs> I think fewer people equals better communication. You would. You would. Yeah. Yeah. So. You um, also had the tall people. Yeah. (laughs) Which is not tall as well. Oh, it absolutely helped. There was a there was a specific puzzle that required extra length. So. I feel like it was balanced out by Doug, like cramped up in tiny spaces. Yeah. Very funny. How long did your arm fit down the pipe? Before we get to the, oh, yes. no, that's not <laughs> Before we get to the physicality of the second two, which we're alluding to, yes. maybe we start with the first one we all played, Tomb of, played, life, and of life and Death. Yes. After the remarks from the large group, I sat down with Chad and Patrick to discuss the Tomb of Life and Death in more detail. That's what you'll hear next. When we're done dissecting it, we'll return to the larger group to discuss some of the other Mission Q games. Okay, welcome to another intermission. This time we're heading into the Sunway Pyramid at Mission Q for the Tomb of Life and Death! (laughs) Why don't we introduce ourselves? I'm Patrick Lemieux. I'm Laura E. Hall. I'm Chad Toprak. And this was actually Chad's first escape room with us. And it was a pretty impressive uh, spectacle in the sense that it was the first time it was super physical. It was the first time that it had multiple elevations. And just to give you an overview of this Egyptian-themed room that actually matched the mall, uh, funny enough, um, it's basically two teams get put into two boxes 
to start off. And so it was five of us in one and five of us in the other. And the entire space was more, you can kind of think of it as four hallways. So team one starts in a box at the start of hallway one, and team two starts in a box at the start of hallway three. And as we move through the space, what's going to happen is that these hallways are not just horizontal, they're also vertical. So hallway three is going to raise up into the air, whereas hallway one is going to go underground. And then uh, hallway two will be our final exit, and yeah. hallway four will be kind of like uh, uh, the final exit for the other team. The other thing to keep in mind, I guess, is that one person on each team had a key zip-tied to their arm at the start of this. So uh, human keys involved. <laughs> but uh, both Chad and Laura were on different teams, so maybe we can kind of bounce back and forth on your experience going between these two different hallways. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to start out by saying, like, this was the first time we'd encountered anything even remotely as physical as this. We were not really prepared, and so it was very exciting. And this one had, you know, magnets and sliding doors and, you know, stuff on winches that were being raised and lowered. And it was a, really... A weird shoot for candle-shaped plastic objects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then all of the puzzles were two-parters. Um, and there, there were a lot of asynchronous clues. Um, when we first started, uh, we were in uh, little rooms, and in between us was what seemed to be the way out, and it was locked, and there were uh, two words on either side of the walls in, in, the, in the room in between us, and so we couldn't see what was on our side, but mm -hmm. we were able to convey um, the words that were on the opposite side right. to, the, to the team. I think this is like characteristic for the whole experience is you're locked in these different cells or prisons, which are actually like prison bars or prison doors where you're looking through a little yeah. porthole and you're shouting the only information that you have at the team across from you, hoping they'll hear it while they're also shouting the yeah. only information they have back at you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're standing at these little windows. We have to put slats into them to form a picture that only the opposite side can see and vice versa. So we're having to pass the bars across and then also, you know, communicate, are the bars in order? And so it's both physically difficult and um, sort of <laughs> emotionally difficult because... Yeah. On each side are four other people also all shouting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's it was tough to get the attention of one person on the other side and then to clearly communicate the information that they needed that we had. Mm. Or, or, even, or even ask questions yeah. like, is this the right one? And to mm -hmm. get the response was like extremely hard yes. sometimes. And this is on top of the fact that every time you put up part of the answer, uh, it closes the window, yes. so it's less and less of your face. So we're just screaming Jack Nicholson's at yes. one another, uh, trying to get in. Yeah. But eventually we crack a yes. cipher, and that's the first lock, yes. right? So we get through the porthole, or sorry, we get through the door on our side. I was on the dark team, and it's a long, dark hallway, and then suddenly Yeah, so the dark see... team is oh, yes. uh, hallway one, and yep. the light team is uh, hallway three. But yep. go ahead, sorry. So then there's like a caged space in the center. We can see across to another locked area, and then to the side is a raised space, and then a door underneath it. Um, we could tell that we were going to be able to access the door underneath, and that the other team would be able to go up. 
Yeah, and this is why uh, rather than light and dark, maybe uh, earth and sky would have yeah. been better descriptors for Absolutely. hallway one and hallway three. Absolutely. So how did you all get into the top box? So yeah, so um, we entered the, the the room after the initial room. Um, funnily enough, the sliding door oh, we didn't can only this. open one way. Mm-hmm. So first one team would have to go. Uh, and then we push the sliding door over to the other side, locking the first door, but opening the second one. Mm-hmm. Yes! Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey, wait, 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 before you move on, Yes! We've got this fire door which slides. Yeah, we, it's like the door yeah. space. Okay. okay, it's got a door cut into it that you might need. Okay, it's got a keyhole. Okay. Uh, okay. So I can't see the keyhole from the side because it's the small door. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, this is our first time with like monumental sliding doors. Yeah. And the, the next room was basically a holding area for two ciphers uh, to get into these two different hallways. And to, in order to get into ours, uh, it had to do with those spinning wheels that I think you were manipulating. Well, it, it was they were static wheels and we had little clock hands mm. that we had to adjust. To, we stuck them in yeah. pointing at different symbols. The clock hands were also on, on the light side, so we had to pass them over. Right. And once you, you were standing on, um, so there was these huge blocks that had the words gold on them. Right. They're gold ingots. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and, and mind you, they, they were like two or three times higher than your usual step size. So, um, uh, at times they were like kind of physically, uh, challenging to, to climb up. Um, totally. Yeah, I was really surprised that they uh, changed from the default stair height or ladder height. Yeah, and this yeah. was true of multiple rooms at Mission Q. Yeah. So Chad was up like in the crow's nest, standing on top of this box called gold. And I think the cipher... It ended up... That's what we entered into the clock faces was the word gold. Right. And that gave back numbers, I guess, that Chad used to get into the attic space. Yeah. yeah. Which, do you want to describe what was up there? Because this is pretty cool. Yeah. So um, the attic space was interesting. There was... Um, um, what turned out to be a crank thing in the center, but we were missing the actual physical crank. Um, I, I can't recall how we ended up receiving that. So that was on our side. Yeah. There was a box that you all had to lower to us. Yes. And from some sort of, uh, like rope and pulley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the crank handle was in that box. Do they have it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Is there like a hand, metal handle? And they're fishing it to us. Now they have to pass to us with the string through the box. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so we um, had to pass that one over. Yeah. So yeah. So there was a rope um, that was tied to the ceiling. We had to untie that. Uh, oh wait, no. It was it was tied to the actual uh, crank mechanism. We untied that, slowly lowered it down yeah. to the so dark that it room. didn't brain one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is uh, a problem throughout yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With sliding doors that another team of five were pushing or like a trap door that could be dropped on your head at any moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we finally received the crank. We uh, um, turned the crank. Uh, the, the crank feeling was super satisfying. I don't think everyone got to try it, which is a big shame. Um, but it felt really, really good. Yeah. And apparently this is going to move something. Uh, 
cranking and cranking and cranking. This is actually really cool that there's this kind of like crank up here. I mean, that crank felt so good. It was really good. And uh, it turned out to to raise um, the the little um, crawling space yeah. in the dark space uh, mm -hmm. in the dark. Yeah, the little door, so, a tunnel door. So yeah. then we crawled into this other room, and there was a single padlock, and then another door that we could see would be opened. So now instead of being in hallway one and three, we were actually, one team was above yeah. between hallways two and three, and the other team was below between yeah. hallways two and three. So we're like yeah. passing over and under one another. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, there's a lot of standing around waiting for information to happen. Because again, there's like one input, and it's just like trying and then waiting, and... Mm -hmm. Well, should we recheck this? And there wasn't that much information to recheck. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel like we reached um, uh, the most exhausting part of the game because <laughs> we were like out of clues. We were looking at like what the combination lock can be, and there was like nothing to draw upon. And yeah. it had, it had wheels that were each a different color, so we're looking for like colored puzzles and yeah. And this is specifically the door in the dark lower space to get into hallway four yes. for the yes. first time. Yeah. So then it turned out it was just entering the word gold again. Yeah, we had to recycle that word. Oh, you just put gold into the lock? Yeah, so the... Which, yeah, this recycling usually doesn't happen. It mm. seems to be, um, I'm not sure why it happened here, or whether the yeah. lock, if it were colored gold, would be a better mm. yeah. uh, interface. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's not quite a pun clue, because yeah. it's being used for two locks that are yeah. basically identical, but yeah. it's it's a weird double use. Well, nothing else in the room is double used, mm -hmm. so it, you've been taught by the game that you're not doing that, so then to actually do that is a, is a misstep. So once that was entered in, did your group find those candle things? Yeah, because somehow I guess we got so. them handed up to us. Yeah, many of them. I think no, that was that was me. That was in the center um, hallway. Mm. Once we got access, and I can't remember how we did that. I think that might have been the lower team opening up um, the door for the upper side. That's, That's what right. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Chad climbed down the ladder yes. and found a weird. Yeah, there oh, was yeah, a, a little box um, that had some foam blocks in it, but it also had these cylindrical um, candles, and we had to pass them mm. back up into the crow's nest, and uh, there were like these two chutes that we had to slop them through, and they kind of slid down um, into... I, I, I have no idea where they slid I down. Yeah, so Imani was sliding them down those chutes, and we needed a ton of them, and they went into a weighted box that yes. opened the door for yeah. the team that was stuck in the dark. Yeah. Right. Along the way, we were finding, uh, like, yellow boxes with symbols on them also. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember when exactly we placed those in the front room. I think that when we were searching for what ended up being the gold padlock, we were like, well, we've got these blocks, so let's at least slot them in. So we, yeah. we passed them back and forth across that space and tucked them into the boxes and made sure that they were in the right height. Yeah. Maybe we need to like put these back up 
But nothing happened, so we right. thought either we, we thought we were skipping ahead. And these are yellow wooden boxes that got slotted in hallway two, back between the first two yes. chambers. Yeah, I think a really cool moment was when uh, the dark team came out of their tunnel, and we were up in that crow's nest still, and there was a locked door, mm-hmm. but. The dark team saw a key that we could yes. have never seen from yeah. our perspective. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened? Yeah, that we they released the door. We crawled out, and then it was a new caged hallway. So we were on the opposite side from where we had started, but still no way to exit. And yeah, we looked up, and it was a, a puzzle for somebody in the crow's nest to just reach their arm around on the wall and sort of feel for this key that yeah. was hanging there. So yeah, it's this great moment where Amani had to reach for a key that she mm. couldn't have seen mm. without getting the second team to yes. that right spot. Yes. Yeah. And then to kind of wrap it up, I think we just opened some doors with the keys attached to wrists. Yeah, so, so I was passed a key. It was like a keychain, actually. It mm-hmm. had two keys in it. Um, and it opened uh, two doors. That were, they were back-to-back um, in the center room. Um, and... That you could climb down from the crow's nest into the center yes, room. Yes, we were yes. not able to access that at yep, that point. Yeah. So once I unlocked that, um, I somehow got access. So eventually I exited through uh, the room that uh, the opposite team had entered from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if that happened for the dark team as well. It was we, only yeah. for the light team. However, the keys on wrists could open up shortcuts, basically, gotcha. in order to get yes. an accessible route without yep. any climbing or ducking gotcha. through the space. However, one cool detail is Chad had to pass through uh, the middle of those two sliding walls, which had a door in them, and yep. you had to align the two so that yep. you could get through. Yeah, yep. that was cool. Yeah, and um, then... <laughs> then, yeah, so we're going through... You know, light and dark have rejoined, <clears throat> I, I suppose, thematically. Um, nothing story-related to indicate that, but we, you know, we know what's going on. There's a little cabinet that I guess those blocks... Unlock from yeah. a sensor <laughs> in hallway two between yes. the first thing. It's the first thing you see, and yes. it's this thing that has the most drama yeah. because you're waiting for the final unlock. Right, mm-hmm. and they had sort of the story is like something about Anubis is is eating the sun, or I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't really grasp what was going on. <laughs> but you know, you expect a thematic thing, and yet <laughs> I was I was hoping there would be treasure inside yeah. and we escape with treasure or something as a well, bonus. Yeah, yeah. As like an achievement unlocked. Exactly, we I got mean, the treasure. Yeah, yeah. A feather to weigh your heart against, like mm-hmm. something oh, related yeah. would have been great. But it was a meme troll face picture pasted on the inside of the cabinet and nothing else. No, 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 Internet meme? Uh, it's a troll face. It's a troll face. Uh, uh, it's like a uh, troll face. Where's the troll face? Oh, no! 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 Very weird kind of ending. Oh. No troll face. 
That's terrible. Yeah. That's it. Just yeah. like a face-sized yeah. troll face. Yeah. Yep. I felt betrayed. It was bad. Well, it's a bit of a middle finger. It is. It because is. it's all about you. You're forcing people to do um, all this teamwork and working together and communicating, and then to just be like, "Haha, suckers." Yeah. Boo. It was very distasteful. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. The affect was just off for our group. Mm-hmm. I wonder if some groups would appreciate that, but for us, we're. Mm, thinking well, that some kind of payoff would be very cool. Are you yeah. supposed to sort of chuckle and be like, hey, Room, you got us. You because, got us, well, yeah. Because the Pranked Room didn't bro. get <laughs> yeah. If you don't get out, you don't see that. Right? So if it would be only really if cool if that had Anubis in it and you fail if you open it. Yeah. Like you were going after the treasure cool. and you lose. Yeah. Good day, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would make so much sense. Oh fine. my gosh, you just solved it. That you solved the room. That would have been That's what we're here for. Better. We're just going to solve these rooms and these intermissions yeah. and uh, I think but, we're about done. Yeah. yeah. So the room uh, overall I think would have been better with fewer people in it because yeah. the, the, the level of chaos happening led to a lot of tension. Yes. Mm-hmm. But mechanically it was a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah. It, even though it was very simple, and I think it, there wasn't it a lot opened to our eyes to the possibilities of what mm. we'd be doing this week. Mm. Whereas the previous couple of rooms um, had different interests, yes. like yeah. in terms of yeah. uh, brokenness or like yeah. left behind remainders. Yeah. Uh, so this was the first one where it was like, oh, people care about this. I really enjoyed the physicality, yes. the different um, levels of height, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, just like we use magnets, we use cranks, we push things around, yeah. and you know. We swapped between rooms that were inaccessible. Yeah. Like, all of that felt really, really good. Mm-hmm. And it was the only one big enough that we could all play it together. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. We played a 10-person escape room, y'all. <laughs> that was your first one? That was your intro yeah. to it? <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Now we'll return to the larger group of 10 to discuss the other games we played at Mission Q. Later on, we'll separate once more into a smaller group to talk about the horror games of Lost in KL. And all of the games in this location were extremely physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really different to all of the other escape rooms we've played, um, where the puzzles tend to be really like IQ test style puzzles. Um, yeah. Whereas this one was kind of more based on figuring out what was actually there. And I thought it was a lot more approachable because I suck at IQ test style <laughs> puzzles. Yeah. And yeah, it was a lot more fun, in my opinion. It was also yeah, the first escape room with a waiver to sign. Yes, that's very There true. were reasons for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really architectural, right, in terms of the puzzles. And it, for the first time, it had elevation changes. So you had to uh, climb up on things that weren't necessarily always ladders. Like, sometimes those things had a step size that is maybe twice as high as a normal stair step. Uh, and so thus didn't seem immediately like something you should be climbing. Um, I'm thinking of like the gold blocks. I was Chad was the that. first yeah. one to go up uh, yeah. those gold blocks. Yeah. It literally had gold mm-hmm. written on the block. Yeah. But as, yeah. a, as, yeah. as a consequence of the, the uh, elevation changes, the puzzles were also architectural puzzles. Like um, it was almost like Dark Souls, like level design kind of puzzles. Uh, open a shortcut and able to get back to the first room, etc. One thing that I thought I really liked about it, that it was a but so much about like where you were looking from and perspective and viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Like that was just something that we hadn't had 
Um, I just wanted to compare it to the haunted house room, which we did the first day, um, because it was similar in that we were split up into three yeah. cages and yeah. we had to share the information. But this one was done in a much more elegant way, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that one, it was just literally passing through a paper to the middle and all looking at it together. Right. Whereas this one, we actually had to say it to each other. And ultimately, somebody could quarterback from the other um, side in a way that you couldn't do mm-hmm. that with this one. Yeah. Yeah, a few roles <laughs> emerged. Like, there was sort of the person who would be there to retrieve like to, to give the verbal information otherwise all of us were shouting and then somebody waiting in the wings to perform the action mm-hmm. um i think what's interesting here is that there's such a variance in the number of players that can go into this experience hmm. you can go in as a two-player team or you can go in as 10 players Whoa. as we did yeah and which is I, I think it's not the ideal situation yeah. because like it's a communication game, right? And when there's mm-hmm. five people on each side, it's very hard to like get that communication across. And it's a very linear game. Mm-hmm. There's like one thing you can do at a time. So it's just like back and forth like that. But many people were maybe standing around, not doing anything specific at certain times. Mm, yeah, it was really hampered by the number of people that we had. Like 10 was the max that this room could hold. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they allow that sort of range. Like, it's not designed for a specific number. Mm. Well, you said two, and the sign said two, but when I asked, they said, we really recommend six people plus. Yeah. Why why do you think that is, though? Because, like, there is never anything more than one thing to work on. Right, and I think that's just a um, feature of these rooms. Like, they haven't really figured out non-linearity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Or they haven't approached it in that way, rather. Can you, sorry, can you just, for the listener, clarify exactly what you mean by non-linearity? Sure. So most of these rooms are a puzzle that you have to solve before you go to the next puzzle. And one of the, um, I think, good things about this is there's a clarity of the tools that you have available to you are only going to be used to solve this next puzzle. However, that that was sort of, I mean, yes, it's a very linear puzzle, but we were given a puzzle piece, which was the word gold, and promptly punched it into the corresponding puzzle, which yes. solved the next part and moved on to the next puzzle, and where we got stuck there for 15 minutes because we couldn't find any more puzzle pieces. And it turns out that we had to recycle the word gold. Yeah, yeah. and it felt bad. Us completely. It yeah, that was really strange. I wanted to just like uh, clarify that one of the things that differentiates this space from the others, aside from these elevation changes, because we've been talking about uh, gold and a lot of letters on walls, actually that wasn't the feature of Mission Q. I mean, mm. The feature of Mission Q is there were a lot of industrial cranks mm. and like pulleys. strange f- uh, pulleys, and you could like um, slide slide whole walls, metal walls, line up yeah. two walls together, or like go. Uh, uh, there would be like a, a trap door that you had to like go in or crawl through a tunnel. Dropping um, candles into uh, pu- yeah, yeah uh, swinging bowling balls, uh, pulling a latch to let <laughs> sand fall. Like there was a lot of physical puzzles that weren't just letters into a lock, right? And I think that was the strength of this particular Huge place. Strength. Yeah, this is this isn't actually about the escape the Egyptian room. escape room, but it's about the other one that we did, the Imperial Mausoleum, that was uh, kind of advertised as the most physical one in this escape room because it involved basically climbing up ladders and then climbing down ladders and climbing up more ladders and down ladders and then like crawling through very, very dark, tight, confined spaces, kind of like the Jeffries tubes on Star Trek. Yeah. And this happened to be my first experience as note taker. 
(laughs) (laughs) And so what was really interesting about that was that I was always, I was always too late to the party because I would hang back to let the puzzle solvers go forward, but I couldn't like see anything. And so it ended up being actually really scary because I'd always have to go back to like reconstruct what you all were doing. And so I'd just be there alone in an incredibly dark, confined (sighs) space by myself with like kind of the windy, wispy music playing in the background. Um, but it was like, so that produced this really interesting experience from a note taker's perspective, but also the physicality of having to narrate while like climbing up and down and like shimmying and like physically hoisting myself into these interesting positions while then like walking on hands and knees describing what's going on in front of me was this, um, I, I felt like an embedded reporter or something. Mm. I, I think I did a terrible job because it was my first time, but it was also a very, very interesting physical experience. Mm-hmm. So Jay is taking the titles with him and going down the ladder. Okay, there's another ladder. I'm going to climb down the ladder with him. Oh my God. This is actually an even trickier ladder to climb down because you have to twist yourself so you're very little holding. Nobody move anything so climbing down in case anything comes around. Yeah. So Jay was afraid of climbing this one-handed, and I can't blame him. Yeah. So everybody wow. is coming back from the other side of the pet door. Be very careful about climbing this way. down, and then they're going to climb up the second ladder, this new ladder. Yeah, another ladder. exciting. We're entering. There's another ladder? So one thing that might be worth uh, the group touching on before we move on to the next parlor is arguably our favorite puzzle from Mission Q. It's arguably the favorite puzzle of the whole trip so far. Mm, um, so this is in the Imperial Mausoleum puzzle at Mission Q. And at the very end, you crawl uh, up and over this jail cell, and you're in this kind of strangely lit room with bowling balls hanging from the ceiling in a cage that you can't access. And there's this like strange spotlight. So it's this multi-part puzzle uh, where you first use a series of four cranks uh, positioned around the cage to raise the bowling balls up on pull, they're on pulleys, uh, and you're supposed to match them with the shadows. So it's kind of like an anamorphic mm, shadow cool. play yeah. that reminds me a lot of um, Echochrome too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you had to align the shadow of the bowling balls with specific markings on the wall such that they'd get to the perfect height to reveal on their cranks a number that was used to unlock the final pulley of a fifth bowling ball that then you could drop. But, but, but just to clarify, um, marked in kind of masking tape with pencil written <laughs> numbers, uh, the, the, the string on the pulley would move left to right depending on how high it was. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to get a four digit code based on the position of the pulley. Um, by the way, uh, this broke completely for the first group, which I was in. Um, one of the pulleys, the like left to right moving physics of the string were somehow broken. So we actually, at some point we realized, we're pretty sure we have the right solution. This isn't, the code we keep putting in isn't working. We had to call for a hint. And, and the guy came in and was like, oh, this is broken. He's like, it. oh yeah, it's a six. Not six, not a three <laughs> or a four. But so that, that's the, the, the first part. Um, and then the second part. Yeah, so the first part allowed you to unlock something you'd been looking at since the moment you saw that jail cell, even before calling in, was there's a high bowling ball that clearly is going to do a Newton's cradle and swing into the rest of these. The, if we call that ball the first ball, then the fifth one had a key attached to it. So then you had to re-lower them all to a specific position such that you could yank the first one up and drop it, Clank. slamming into the other bowling balls, and then 
slowly swinging, like the difference between the slam and then the slow swing of the fifth bowling ball into the open arms of somebody to catch. Reaching through the prison. Are we ready? So all these bowling balls are in a cage together. It's like the Incredible Um, Machine. Yeah, and they were really beautiful. They were like red and green and blue. Like it was a very cool installation, uh, specifically with the cage and the lights. Um, It looks like a a constellation mm -hmm. or yeah, solar system. And that key on the bowling ball was the one to unlock the very first door you entered through. Yeah. Part of my, my note taker fails was that like during that room I, I knew exactly what that was but I had I had no idea it was called Newton's Cradle so I just kept calling it CEO balls. Mm, yeah, <laughs> clack clack. I think we need to invent like a, a law or a rule name, which is like if you make something bigger, it's much more exciting. Just how like if you make something fifty percent smaller, it's cute. Yeah, yeah. 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 have taken Newton's Cradle, make it huge. Instantly exciting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 This works in art installations too. Yeah. Like yeah. the monumentality of an art installation changes the concept uh, and the way an audience experiences it. Um, out of curiosity, because I haven't played that escape room, uh, you mentioned earlier with uh, the the bowling balls and shadows. Mm-hmm. Was there a single light source or were there multiple light sources? So this is a missed opportunity that we noticed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the, um, yeah, I was wondering, right? Like, is this actually going to be like perspectival or anamorphic, right? And the, it was like a single light source that was on a flat wall. And so there wasn't a lot of ambiguity except for the the last ball which was the one that you would pull up was actually located between two balls and so you had like a potential there or not sorry not between two balls between two walls so you had a potential to actually like align have it be a sort of like Mm. physical positioning thing where depending on the angle from which you're looking you might have to reconstruct it which would add some some uncertainty into the puzzle so Mm. i was really really excited Mm. by that because i love anamorphic imagery but it wasn't it just ended up being uh like kind of just perfectly uh intuitively perspective fixed 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 position which if we had been able to move that light from like place to place yeah yeah like like echochrome right where you're like oh i gotta find it you know Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That room was really exhilarating. Like it, it was actually a very basic room. Like there were not that many puzzles to it. They weren't that complicated. But like it was very exhilarating just to be moving around mm-hmm. in such a physical way that like I had a great time. Yeah. Even though as an escape room, maybe the puzzles weren't that interesting. Yeah. yeah. A bunch but, of us got cuts and bruises as a result. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just the, the physicality <laughs> of it was like far beyond anything else we've played. And I'll point out to you that in at least in America, you're really not allowed to do that level of physicality <laughs> because of um, ADA. One thing that's regulation. really interesting about Mission Q yeah. that I was careful to keep track of throughout our experience was that actually every room was accessible um, right. because there were the many of the puzzles were opening shortcuts to previous areas. And yeah. so if you were in a wheelchair and were on the dark team, of the Tomb of Life and Death. You never had to climb anything, and you never had to shimmy through a sliding door. There were ways to unlock the route as you went. And this is more than just accessibility <laughs> on this important discussion. There's also just, like, straight-up dangerous stuff, like the, the, the yeah. sprinkler, the sharp yeah. sprinkler. 
I mentioned yeah, in the Jeffrey's <laughs> tube attic thing. It, it appeared again, yes, and you yeah. could easily have named yourself crawling around yeah. these and, tubes. And right? Shanglun set off the, the water. Oh, what? Like, really? Like oh, okay. We didn't. So in the King Arthur <laughs> moment, there was, the there was <laughs> water. No, no, not the sprinkler. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that would be a huge deal yeah. in, in the ones that we do. So like, like I, fire, almost, fire I just almost died hearing yeah, that. I'm like 80% <laughs> sure the sprinklers are fake anyway. So. Really? I want to say, too, like the sprinkler heads are exposed because they've just built a bunch of platforms up to the ceiling Correct. Yep. so yep. it's but, but can you recount yeah. the water episode quickly? So this yeah. is in the King Arthur room. Uh, the whole room is just slapstick for us, and I think it was the context of it. So Laura's team had just come out very triumphantly. Like, <laughs> yeah. you were smug yeah. when we were. 12 yeah. minutes. We well, felt like we pulled a Shenglun. We were like, <laughs> uh, 12 minutes, easy. 45 minutes, I think. Total. Yeah, and so we, we broke all the records it. of previous teams. Yeah, yeah It felt like we first. just like walked straight out the mm-hmm. door, basically. Yep. So then we said, well, <laughs> let's do this. And um, the next team went in and frantically and in just this most hilarious way, whirlwinded, bypassing a bunch of things, making a bunch of mistakes and got out and immediately asked, what time did we get? And they said, 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we beat the other team. By Probably. We, but in that period, yeah. you broke a painting. <laughs> <laughs> Splattered oh, water no. everywhere. Yeah. Cups and bruises. There, there was a puzzle to put water from a well into a tube to float something out. Which was very cool. It was very cool. But that's not what he did. No. no. He what didn't did you go do? to the well. He no. went to the pipe. Oh my god. And just like turned it on and then turned another one that had this little zip oh. and it just sprayed everywhere from oh no. the... 360 <laughs> degrees. And then, and then our wet footprints were everywhere. <laughs> and was guilty. And that's, that's the moment that we heard this like bang, bang, bang. Dang it. There's going to be water involved in a moment. I think this part of game. Australian tourists. I know. No, they did not come in. This is like gave us a little. Don't do that. Oh my god. Um, and then w- when we went to the well, like we w- there was a scooper, right? right? Yeah. And if there's a scooper, surely you're supposed to scoop the water. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this yeah. is a lesson for escape room designers. Like yes. if you put we, water in there or pipes, we're gonna think gonna that we're supposed to use all it. of them, right? Yeah. So. They See, did. They did. How did you not start. use it? Wait, I don't understand. I just realized that maybe we bypassed a puzzle. You had to get we into the well. We never stayed. Right, anything. and then there was the um, the long pipe that you had to pour the water into. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. handle of the scoop had the key to that pipe. Yes, so I thought that we bypassed something. <sighs> yeah, hundred percent. Another thing they cheated. It just yeah. came out. Disqualified. Yeah. 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 They and didn't reset it. They had three people, and we had two. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, no, you, you are the yeah. true. The other puzzle in that room that was funny was you. Yeah, you go down under the throne room into a jail cell where King Arthur's bones are laying next yeah. to... to save King Arthur and there he is. Oh, that was King <laughs> Arthur. That's King yeah. Arthur. Yeah. He died. And he was sitting with a bunch of multicolored fruit, which we thought might be a code, like a color yeah. lock code, where yeah. you do them in fruit order. and that, Weight order. Uh, weight order. <laughs> oh, but instead boy. you're supposed to toss the fruit into a little bowl. Um, but of course the swords from the first room or the locks from the first room are much heavier and yeah. easier to toss than fruit. Well, so we threw the sword. Threw yes. swords in that bowl. We tossed the fruit and then the banana <laughs> is the heaviest one so it flips 
around, and then yep. the apricot goes into the other bucket that we're supposed <laughs> to be lifting. So we ran out of fruit, and we're like, well, we're all too short to reach this. Mm-hmm. So we went and got the sword and just, like, pushed yeah. down the bucket. What I can't imagine this. Can you describe it a little bit? There's a pulley system with a bucket up high and a bucket down low, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to move the bucket on high down so that it touches yeah. a switch. I don't know what we. But would you are stuck in a jail cell, yes, so you, you can't reach it. And you need to throw fruit from the jail cell into that bucket, I mean, and all the fruit is just not cooperating. A do limited you, number mm-hmm. of fruits. Do you think there's a message there about like getting rid of your food source, your life source, <laughs> just just to get out as well? Well, so what did King Arthur die of? Because if he was surrounded by thirst, because the final puzzle was like I'm thirsty, and oh, you had to bring sure. like the block from inside the well all the way to but the final door. Yeah, but why was the fruit the fresh and his body was fresh. totally decomposed? It doesn't make sense. The fruit wasn't fresh, it was made of plastic. <laughs> That's why he died. So <laughs> I think what we're getting at here is, even though, uh, you know, for me, I think a lot of people agree these were the strongest rooms by far So mm-hmm. at that point. So um, uh, that the story was still extremely thin. Uh, I mean, it was yeah. absent. Yeah. And, and, and even in the Imperial Mausoleum, which we all agree was worth it alone just for the physicality, still felt kind of a bit barren in terms of not just number of puzzles, but just extremely stark metal walls that you're crawling around. So I think there was a huge missed opportunity for, even beyond classic environmental storytelling, um, kind of mood creation. So so as much as I liked Mission Q, that, that was kind of the, the number one thing I took away. Like, it, it was great, but... I felt like it was missing something. The yeah. elegance definitely came from the uh, physicality and affordances of bodies and objects. Yeah. Uh, and it felt like we were really inside a large machine as opposed to people looking at small things. Yeah. Totally. Well, so as Doug points out, that was, in fact, the most fun and, and the most exciting stuff until that moment. So half the group at that time went home. And mm-hmm. then the other half went on to play another set of rooms, which we will now discuss we are going to ask them to leave because we had such an amazing time and have been raving about it that they now want to go play them. So we're going to discuss them without the first half present. So um, Doug, Stephanie, yeah. Goldie, and I uh, were zonked. So, and Alex, uh, we were all zonked, so we took off. Well, Alex, maybe you didn't want to see boxes of fingers. Was that <laughs> yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, I just, I don't like things screaming at me. I don't like body parts in my face. So, <laughs> so four of us were tired, and one wasn't into the horror theme. So we're going to take off uh, now and <laughs> get out of here. Exit stage... Doug, Alex, <laughs> Patrick, and Stephanie and Goldie are all leaving. Yes. Yeah. So they went home to rest or zone out. Yes. Um, Alexandra left because she didn't. Okay. So now the first half of the day's group has left, and remaining it's me, Laura E. Hall, uh, Lee Shanglun, Chad Tobrak, Jimmy Biddle, Amani Nassim. And so we went to Lost in KL, which is operated, I believe, by Haunted House makers, mm, right? Yes. Is, is it attached to an actual Haunted House, or is that just their main They have thing? a Haunted House, um, but I think it's a different location. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they offered six different rooms. All of them were more or less Haunted House-themed. Haunted Hospital, or, right, a Haunted, you know... Haunted a, a ghost, a Haunted School, yeah. Um, so between us, we played four of the six rooms, and honestly, we would go back and play the yeah, remaining two. I would go, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's discuss those. So let's get this out of the way. Like, it wasn't a great escape room, right? actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there were moments inside these escape rooms that are so worth 
discussing and dissecting yes. um, because of how effective they were at creating mood and atmosphere. And it was the first time that story had actually been executed in a way that made me feel like there was something there to explore or be, mm-hmm. there, there was anything coherent. It's, it's the first time there were like story beats that you could Absolutely. actually follow in any way yeah. that would like, make sense. It, it, yeah. was, it was less... Um, we're in an escape room and we're looking for puzzles. It was more like we're in this world and something's happened and we're trying to figure things out. Yeah, there were actual characters. Yeah. It was also really, I really liked that it was also really local. Like there, were, we had, there was one part where we had to uh, look at Chinese characters and figure out and, and find them in different places. Yeah. Right. And the doctors of the hospital were all Malaysian. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, it wasn't whitewashed or anything. Yeah. So yeah. there's four Malaysian audience. That's, that's funny. Actually, in the original one that I played, um, the A Maze Escape, which was space themed, um, at the very end, there's a teeny tiny little Malaysian flag out on the like Mo- Martian settlement or whatever, and I was like, "Oh, we have a space program." That's very funny because in the fir- the Dutch lady chocolate room, they mm-hmm. had a picture of the culprits who stole the chocolate milk, and it was just a picture of like white footballers. Oh my god! <laughs> posing for a team photo. Excellent. And <laughs> like, yeah, those dirty. Australian thieves. I I like the cultural specificity of horror in general. Yes. Um, I like folkloric horror. So that was very exciting for me. Yeah. It's huge here in KO. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Malaysians go wild for horror. Awesome. I love it. Um, That whole area was also, you know, it just also felt really local. mm -hmm. The other, in the the malls, it just feels, it feels a little bit like a, you know, with all the Shops around that I yeah. you see in all airports and totally. Like that. Yeah. So e- even for the first bit walking in, you could tell that the experience was going to be different because there was no. Every other escape room we've seen these Polaroids, and on the Polaroid you write down "We escaped" and your time, and it just covers entire walls. Walls yes. and walls. And then it's, the first it's a wallpaper basically that yeah. they use, and yeah. there's leaderboards. Yeah, right. Every single time you walk in very prominently, this is who is winning, and you're mm-hmm. kind of encouraged to look at it and, and in your mind ask say I'm going to beat this team yeah and we weren't aware of any timers in these rooms or any real time pressure that we would not mm. get to the end of the experience I'm not that sure made a huge was. difference Do, were they actually yeah. timing us that's a question for yeah, our group do you question. think so I feel like they would be timing but I don't think at any point in time they uh, would have come in and, and said like hey your time's up or yeah. something Did, didn't, didn't you ask how long we I did ask. Uh, they was they said it was like just under an hour or something. Um, yeah. But like, if I hadn't prompted them, prompted, uh, prompted them, I don't think they'd bring it up at all. Yeah. There was a point in one of the ones that we did, um, the Annabelle room, where I heard I think a lightning crash or something, something in the soundtrack that was distinctively different. And I thought, oh, is that it? Have we lost? But then it just kept going. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that might have been the point. Um, but yeah, so let's discuss the specific rooms. Um, Jay and I played in the first round one called Her Soul, which was pretty typical haunted house. It was about a family that had moved into a home um, and then disappeared. And so your role is as kids who want to make your mark on the world. So you are spending the night in this haunted house to do something that no one has dared to do. I got that story from the poster. <laughs> I did not read the poster, so I had no idea what was going on yes. at all. Okay, so this is really interesting. Yeah, I deliberately <laughs> didn't read the poster yeah. as well. Yeah. And so, so I'll say it's three rooms. The first room, nothing to do with it, just a regular house. The second room had the beginning of story elements, and then the third was the sort of narrative conclusion. Um, but in the first room, we 
stood around for a long time just trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, this is, I think, really interesting and maybe uh, the same in every room, that there is absolutely nothing you can do immediately in the first room. Yes. Certainly in this one, we yes. could not solve anything until a key randomly appeared. A timed event, oh, I think, is what we what it was. It's not entirely clear if we triggered it, if they triggered it, or if it was just time-based. But something fell open mm. at a certain point and we hadn't done anything to make that happen. Mm. I think it makes total sense, actually, given, like, they give you enough time to look around to mm -hmm. get yourself familiarized with this environment. And just before that, you know, attention psychology and attenuation occurs, mm -hmm. uh, they hit you hard with a jump scare mm -hmm. of the lights yes. go black or mm -hmm. yes. the thing falls. We, we had that same experience with a room that uh, was Chinese themed with Omani. Yeah. Called um, Before Midnight. That, just, was, that was in the second end. round. Yeah. yeah. So, just yeah. Um, at the very beginning, uh, we were put into this well-lit room. It was a shrine. It was a shrine, yep. So it started at a shrine and it ended at the murder scene. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when we entered, the shrine was well-lit and we were hanging uh, magnetic puzzle pieces on this frame. And while we were doing that, we were like, oh yeah, taking our time, expecting like something to happen once we were done. But about halfway through, the lights turned off. Right. <laughs> and we were like, well, yeah. And um, we were almost done, and we noticed that the puzzle pieces spelled out something. Oh. Um, That's quite nifty. Yeah. 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 And so I feel like um, the one that broke from that pattern was the one that we did, Survivor, which was a zombie. Right. Um, and which I think actually was maybe the strongest. Mm -hmm. And that was you and Amani and Chad. Yes. Yeah. In, right. the sort of in the first yes. round. In the first round. So we opened up in the back alley of a hospital. And I solved this really crappy shaped puzzle, and I wanted to cry because I'm like, oh, this is going to be in one of those escape rooms. Yeah. yeah. Which, in retrospect, yep. was kind of excellent. Yeah. Yes. That it set me we up. We had the same yes. experience in the rehearsal. Yeah. I was, uh, when we, when, in hindsight, I thought maybe they intentionally put that puzzle there to kind of contrast it against the rest of the, the experience. But, well, what they definitely did was like put uh, puzzles in the second room were all thematic and narrative. Mm -hmm. And then there were no puzzles after that, basically. Or yes. there were a few puzzles yes. and there was action sequences. Yes. So, it yeah. was action sequences. Yeah. 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 So I think it is purposeful. Yeah. Um, we got into the hospital and all of the puzzles were reconstruction-based. So we had to look at photos of how the room looked like before things had gone through it. We found MP3s of people saying, you need to look at this filing system and the password is the name of the hospital's abbreviation. So everything made sense narratively and had a diegetic reason to be there. Yeah. Um, weirdly, there and were also... videos. The sneaky photos. Sneaky photo, right, yeah, photos from the CCTV as well. Um, to find out a key combination, you can actually watch them punch it in, which is really nice. Um, weirdly, there were warnings that were not related to the gameplay, but still in universe style. So they would say things like, this is for hospital staff only, um, only open in case of power outage. And we were wondering, is this a power outage? Is this yeah. part of it? And how do we yeah. open this? Um, later on, there was uh, a, a warning saying that there was a, a very powerful weapon and it should only it, it should not be used against human beings and that turned out to be a laser yeah yeah um, and again it was it was thematically uh uh within the world i really thought that that one was part of the puzzle because it was also a combination lock right mm. i want you to describe the elevator yeah, <laughs> the, the action sequence and then the finale is it, it. There was a similar pattern. Mm. So let's discuss the elevator and the then the the, the mm. finale stuff that was shared between all of the rooms. Um. So 
From the reconstruction puzzle room, you could see through bars just a, a single wheelchair illuminated with purple light, and it was stark and hauntingly beautiful because it was completely visually uh, iconic and different from the busyness of the room. To me, it was really strong. And then when you actually got into that space, there was a pitch black. You couldn't see past the wheelchair because it was so dark. There was an elevator, it turned out to be. And as soon as you recognized it as an elevator and walked into the elevator, your mind played tricks on you because it's suddenly a very familiar space. You know exactly how elevators feel. You, I could, I could it feel was the an floor. It was an actual elevator that they had cut and put in there. Oh, absolutely. It was a real elevator door, yeah. etc. cetera. Uh, but it, I could feel the floor move. You know that bob that it does? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It was not uh, actually moving. And also moving. it did. No, it didn't move. It I didn't. checked. It didn't. It wasn't but separated it, it, from the floor at all. It felt that way. Yeah. That's so cool. Are you sure there was nothing underneath? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. hundred percent sure. But, I mean, but this is the, the great thing about haunted houses is that you get to speak directly to the lizard brain. It's very easy to play on, you know, the sort of scary, the fear response mm, and mm. things. And your the human brain just fills in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so good. And claustrophobic. Yeah. 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 So, and the mood so I was change. wondering whether the, the door would close. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that ele elevator well. moment was uh, the moment for I think all of us, uh, where it, it like the, the escape room kind of flipped, and um, it felt like we were now playing a a different. It was a different game. Yeah. Like, it, it was became a different real. Game. Everything it before became, that was fake. Right. Exactly. I was already looking for you know. I was already looking around to see where we could get out yeah, because I was a little bit before, scared. Before we get to that, yeah. maybe mention how... What actually happened. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you get into the elevator, we're, suddenly we're talking in a bit hushed voices. Okay, I'm actually quite scared. So we're inside the Why lift. The doors... Because if I don't have room, the mood. <laughs> the door is closed. Um, we're inside the lift. The lights went off entirely, leaving us in black darkness. And then, like, now it's just red light, and it's very different feeling than before. I think this strong sense of color is very good. We turn on the power inside the elevator and just the panel lights up and we go to the ninth floor and close the door. And the door actually closes in exactly this elevator way and we're inside the elevator and it plays not music like elevator jazz music. It plays like the cranks and the creaks and you can feel yourself kind of going up the floors. And we're like, okay, we're going to go to the ninth floor to steal the vaccine. And just as we think we're, you know, going to get about halfway there, the lights cut out and it's total <laughs> silence for five seconds or so. Yeah. And we freak out. We're like, oh, what's yeah, happening? Yeah. <laughs> and then blast uh, completely flooding the room is with red light. Mm -hmm. And we are immediately just freaking out. <laughs> And then trying to solve puzzles, but there's nothing there. We're pressing buttons, desperately trying to claw out. I'm opening the door. I was pressing the emergency, the, the emergency button lights up red when you press it, but nothing happens. Which I love. <laughs> and Amani finally just pushes the ceiling hatch. And it's really heavy, but she just goes, and the ceiling comes up. And you're like, of course, this is how you escape an elevator. <laughs> but it's so tall. It's like two meters high. And we're like, how on earth are we like, is there some like, you know, ladder that we're supposed to use? But no, we, we had to, uh, we end up having to push um, Shen Lun up. What? Yeah, we're gonna have to climb out? No way. No way. Wait, really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no,
<laughs> this uh, this no, started no, off no, like, no, really? Okay, so we just opened really? a hatch in the elevator door. Oh, there's blood there. Okay. This is part of it. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. like, this is serious. Holy crap. Wait, we what? have to, like, pull up. Wait. What? Is that even. No, you can, no, I can, I, I can could, you. I could go up sure? with this. Yeah, 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 go for it. Okay. Like, you need to. <laughs> right. One, two, three. Okay. Oh, good. So, what just happened? Wow. We, we are. <laughs> this is so serious. We just got asked to, like, launch ourselves up into uh, the ceiling space of a lift. This is like in some ways way more physical than Mission Q. I had to. I had to figure out. But I had to see what was up there. But and. You know the box that we opened. Mm, yeah. So there was a step there, so I could step there and. But only because you're very nimble. Huh? <laughs> like norm- normal people would not be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but then Amani yeah. by herself kind of like poked her head up and right. saw that there was a ladder, but quite far back. Mm-hmm. So then Chad boosted me up, and I, I very athletically yeah. muscles. Yeah. yeah. So I we didn't really have as theatrical moment as that yeah. one where everything sort of changed suddenly. But, or at least in the first one, mm. um, we did have a very good scary moment in the Annabelle room, which um, Jay and I and Cheng Lun played in the second round. Um, that and we heard. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of screams. Yeah. <laughs> the, the spaces, the more I think about it, the spaces feel actually like really well done in the way that they increase. Like the first room, you have these, um, like the effects of the haunting, essentially. So you have like chairs that are floating on the walls and all these different effects going on, which then moves on to the the artifacts room, which contains Annabelle, the haunted doll. Uh, and and this, then, this is based on a film series that's based on, on uh, loosely, a, an actual real-life couple um, who are exorcists. Mm-hmm. And then that progresses into a room with, like, the actual exorcism going on. Well, the, right. the doll is possessing the soul of a, an animatronic figure that's inside. <laughs> but there are no other people there, right? There's no other people. No. Um, but as we were playing through the whole game, we could see that there were buttons around the rooms that we knew at some point we'd have to press in some combination. Um, and we were told from a book that they had printed. They printed a, a totally new Bible um, that had like custom inserted instructions for these different parts of the game. Uh, we were told via that that one member of the team would have to be sacrificed, and Jay immediately pointed at me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so page 176 on the Bible. Right. Here we go. What's this? So they printed this entire Bible out? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is great. cool. I like it. Annabelle's Law. When the demonic doll has gone out of control, someone has to stay behind and sacrifice his or her soul. Oh, Only then can the rest me? escape okay. with their lives. Wait, what are you doing? Okay. He's pointing at me. <laughs> So uh, when the time came to press three buttons, um, and it was it, there were instructions for the number of buttons to press based on how many players there were. Mm-hmm. So there's right? always one player in the last room yes. and every other player in the second room. Yes. So I went into the last room. So so in in the second room, the doll's in a case. At one point, the lights go out and it disappears and leaves a note for you. <laughs> so you know you're going to re-encounter it later. It's horrible. <laughs> When we got through the next room, there was a rocking chair that, when rocked, triggered um, the animatronics to move and screech. And, and, and all three of us ran out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 My heart leapt into my throat. Yeah. There was also, bef- oh, just no. before that, too, a moment of 
like a ceiling hatch that we could see needed going into that was very scary. But at each one of them, you know, you open it sort of at arm's length and hope that this is going to jump out. Um, I yeah. you opening doors was so good. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to touch this. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, when you made me put my hand down that Yes, hole. there was a mystery box, <laughs> um, which comes into play later. And we reached into the hole. And I have reached into the hole. There was nothing in there the hole. There was nothing in the hole. I was joking. But yeah, so I'm in the room. We press all of the buttons, and the door slams shut, and the lights change, and everything. And we just hear screaming. Well, yeah. the, first it was just the animatronics, and it's filling with smoke and stuff. But then things kept happening that were startling to me because I had to pass by the animatronics to look at symbols on the wall, which I was trying to describe in very specific detail through the wall to them on the other side. And um, there, there was also a tool in the door that I had to pass through a box in the wall to get to them. Um, but so, you know, first the animatronics startled me. So I'm like jumping backward, dancing, screaming kind of thing. (laughs) The staff members clearly could see that there was a good mark in there because they kept waiting till I got near the wall and banging on it and groaning, (laughs) which, (laughs) and, and there, there were at least two people in two different positions waiting for when I was near something. And there was one point where I could not move without them doing something. Seven, yeah. And the next thing is like a little woman. A woman? What? Like a you know, head and, and stiff arms and a little dress. I think that's the seven. Sorry, what's the previous one before that? Uh, An L. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Laura? Laura? Oh my god! Laura! <laughs> What's an L? Go back to. <laughs> What's an L? <laughs> What's an L? Uh, it's, it's the number four is an L shape with three things sticking off the left. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Tell us again. What's the? <laughs> That's the screaming that you heard. It was was very funny for us. We just kept hearing screaming, but occasionally we'd go silent and we'd be like, oh, what's going on? (laughs) Well, that was the the point. There was a moment when I was like, I can't move or do anything or say anything because I have to collect myself because this is like, it's just the sensation of everything was very overwhelming. Um, But then, (laughs) so there were six symbols on the wall. We had had experience in describing the symbols earlier in the day um, from the two team mm. one. So I was like, okay, we're going to be really specific in this. We are going to be precise and we're going to ma- nail this. But there was one symbol that just we could not communicate. It turns out that it was only half of one of the full ones, I think. Not even half, a quarter. Yeah. yeah. It was it was unfortunate because like we come to this like climax and then there was a puzzle that was like slightly too long and yeah. really like broke that tension that we were having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would have been great to have something really fast that we could like punch right. through to the end. Because yeah. at that point I'm sitting there thinking like how many times am I going to have to like avoid the zombie wall or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um because it just would not end. Mm. Um, but finally, I think we just called for a hint at that point. They, I didn't want to leave you in there. Right well, there. <laughs> I hear them getting out of the door on the oh, other side. Right. Yeah, yeah. And they're all like, yay, we've done it. <laughs> and I'm standing in the room. Hello. I'm in eye contact with this haunted doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the lights are changing. And then the set of crates, um, this was the mystery box because there was a really clear opening um, that Shenglin had reached into and not felt anything. The crate started glowing green from within, and I'm like, uh, is there something happening here? (laughs) 
And then suddenly an arm shoots out of it, lifting up the top. Again, I'm screaming, but I thought it was one of you coming to get me because I could hear your voices in the hall. I know. But it was a staff member who I also startled the, the, the Jesus out of with my screaming, like, right at his face. 9314763 Try that first. 
however hokey or not this is, playing with the form. Because I haven't seen this. Have you have you seen this in a room before? No. Like, so mixing in other traditional game elements, oh, maybe werewolf-esque, yeah. uh, mm. into escape yeah. rooms. We could introduce a traitor mechanic. Oh, yeah. like, increase the oh. challenge. <laughs> that's that's of what, like, really easy games yeah. where, like, there's one person who has to deliberately deliberately go around skunking people. The mole. This is a sick <laughs> So is it, like, Spyfall, where at the end you have to guess who... Yeah, yeah. yeah the mole. Like, everyone right. points at the worst player, like, they're not the spy. They were just really yeah. bad at this game. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, holding a tile behind the back, or you, like, stuff it in oh your pants. Or something. So you're, like, looking at people to see if they have any, like, bulbs. This is such a good idea. I mean, it goes alongside, like, the silent playthrough as right. way up there for me. It's, like, something we should try maybe on the wild card day. It's, like, or with the particularly, mm-hmm. e- like, the ones that um, we feel confident are sort of maybe on the easier end of the spectrum. <laughs> To I kind of up the ante. I want to. I want to see an object that you hide, um, that at some point like beeps, revealing you. <laughs> <laughs> you swallow a key. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> For context, we've referenced both the Crystal Maze and the Mall. Crystal Maze is like a, a team event where you go into different small challenge rooms. Um, and earn crystals, but if somebody gets locked in, you can choose as a team to leave them behind or not, because the crystals are used at the end to add time to your um, ticket-grabbing time in this giant air dome. Mm. And then the mole is a show where one person is secretly sabotaging the entire rest of the group, and it's all seeded with clues throughout, so you as the viewer are also trying to decipher who it is with extra information separate from the player's. Um, and then, you know, the, the human drama element of that is always really interesting mm-hmm. because they become legitimately close friends with everybody and then betray them <laughs> because they can't not. Mm-hmm. They're required to. So it is fascinating. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Well, great. Yeah. Yay. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Every Game in This City is a podcast on the Idle Thumbs Network. We recorded Season 1 in a hot bedroom in Batalin Jaya during the summer of 2018. Our theme music is a cover of Seiko 4 by Yasuaki Shimizu, a piece he originally composed for a wristwatch commercial in the 1980s. You can find us on the web at everygameinthis.city, as well as most social media networks and podcasting platforms. In two weeks, our next episode will be moderated by Goldie Bartlett, who will introduce a special guest and talk about the Breakout franchise, this time at New Central. <laughs>